Welcome to Inklings. I am Emily Bell Freeman, and I'm so excited to welcome you to a space where you and I get to experience a hint of something more together. This is a community where we lean into discussions that will help us obtain a bedrock understanding of the doctrines of Christ. Not overnight, but every day better. Strength gathered over time. There is a place for you here. Looking forward to spending the semester with you as we embark on a journey focused on becoming His. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Inklings. This is going to be a fun one today. I'm just grabbing all my stuff. So you're going to want probably your Old Testament. I've been trying to think of all the places we could go with this one. And this morning, I'm just feeling so drawn to the Old Testament. So you're going to want your Old Testament. And we're today we're studying walking in covenant relationship with Christ, which happens to be my conference talk. I debated what we were going to do today, um, all week last week, what was going to be the smartest way to uh, do this. I thought about having just all my daughters come on and talk. And in fact, um, I was with some of them when I was talking about it and we were saying how fun that would have been, but we couldn't figure out how to get everyone on. And some people had things. Then I debated just having two people um, random get on and do it. But as I thought about it, I thought it might just be fun to go through and talk about this is something that feels so critically important to me um, to talk about what do we learn about covenant relationship. So that's what I want to talk about this morning is covenant relationship and we'll do a little bit from the talk. We'll do a lot from the scriptures and I just want to be thinking about what we learn and maybe what stood out to you as you have read through this talk or maybe talked through it um, in classes. I, I love this thought of our ability to increase relationship with Jesus Christ and that the Father's plan included a space on the earth set apart for us to enter into deeper relationship with him. So I also want to be thinking about that as we are talking this through. And I thought it might be fun for you to hear some of the backstory and maybe some of what felt important as I was typing those words out. So that's kind of my thought for today. And I want to start out just right at the beginning where, um, where this talk starts, where the story starts. This is walking in covenant relationship with Christ is the talk that we're going to be studying today. And I'm going to give you a little more detail um, getting into that. And, and some of you who have been here for a while will remember the detail because we've talked about it as it was happening. But I um, had the opportunity before this calling to work with a company who would send me over to Israel over and over again to uh, guide tours over there. And I love going. I loved going. I love being in those places where Jesus walked and where Jesus was, where he taught. There's just something so meaningful about being right there in those spaces. 
and we had gone over um, in April and we had done one whole tour and it was the first day of the second tour. And um, when April came, we had been to the year before I had been there and I had visited a synagogue that overlooked this trail. And when I was standing there next to my good friend, Elon, I was like, what is that, that trail right there? Because it's really beautiful. Um, if you've been to Park City or to Heber or Midway, Colville, um, any of those places, if you visited in Utah, this is what Galilee looks like. So you can just imagine um, that that's really similar to what Galilee feels like are all of those places. And you get to, um, they're untouched. They're, you just, it, it really would be like going through a little hike up there or, or walking through those areas. That's what it looks like. So I want you to picture that in your mind. And I looked down and I could see this trail right there, just winding down to um, the Sea of Galilee. And so I said to Elon, what is, what is that? And he said, oh, that's the Jesus trail. And you know, immediately I am like captivated by the thought that there might be a Jesus trail. I had never heard of that before. So I had said to him, tell me more about this trail. And he said, well, it starts up in Nazareth and then it just winds down all the way down to Capernaum, to that little city where he spent so much time. And it's really the only way to get between those two places is from there to there. That's just, that would be the most logical way that you would get there. And so people thought um, this is where Jesus walked. And now it's marked so that you can go there and actually start at the bottom of the hill in Nazareth, and you can walk all the way to Capernaum. And it actually takes several days to do it. And you sleep out under the stars if you do, if you do it right. So immediately I was like, I want to do that. I just, in my mind, I thought I'm, I'm doing that. I felt so drawn to do that. So when we came back in April of this next year, um, I talked with Elon and I was like, how would I do something like that? And we actually scheduled to come in for the June trip earlier. And I was gonna bring my dad and my nephews were gonna come with me and Grace was coming. And I thought, we'll just, we'll do it. We'll just do the Jesus trail. It'll be a once in a lifetime experience. And so we kind of had started planning and we arranged for the guide and we had done all of these things. Well, so now I'll go backwards to April and it's the second tour. And I got off the bus to kind of scout out the area where we were gonna take all this group of people up the hill and, and we had kind of looked where we were going. And so I, it, it seemed good. So I told everyone come and I stepped out of the way of the trail and I just, I could hear my ankle just snap, right? When I stepped out of the way and I, my foot had kind of slid on some dirt that was there. And so it was a holiday there and um, there nothing was open. So I kind of just hobbled around on that foot for the whole day. I, I went up and taught. We were um, overlooking the road to Jericho when it happened, which I got a little giggle out of because who wants to get hurt on the road to Jericho? 
And then we came down and we went to the baptismal site and we were driving and everywhere we went, I kind of just put my um, foot up and to keep it out of the way. And um, the, um, yeah, people are talking about, um, David maybe told the story of there was, so we had lots of uh, the kids who sell bracelets coming down and our tour going up, that's why I stepped out of the way was just to move uh, back from everything that was going. And then that was that. So we didn't get to the hospital till late that night. And as we went through that whole process and found out it was broken, and then you guys, I got a plaster um, cast and who even makes plaster casts anymore? But I got a real live plaster cast on my foot. And as the man was putting that cast on, the number one thought in my mind was, how am I gonna walk the Jesus trail in six weeks? This is the thought that will not leave my mind. Everyone's talking about what's gonna happen. I can't be weight bearing, um, all of these things um, that are going on and I couldn't fly so I, I ended up having to stay there which was fine because I wanted to stay for the rest of that tour, but, and we did the best we could for that time. But when I got home the, and I went to the doctor, the very first um, day we got back, I said to him, I have plans to go back to Israel and walk the Jesus trail in six weeks. What do you think is gonna happen? And the man said to me, I'm not even talking to you about six weeks from now. Right now, I'm just talking to you about one week from now. So the cute doctor was working week by week to see um, if that ankle was gonna heal without surgery. Meanwhile, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out how are we gonna do that Jesus trail? And um, it wasn't till a week before that finally everyone was like, okay, I think you can go back to Israel. I was on a scooter by now. But um, I, no one thought we were gonna be able to do the Jesus Trail. And I decided not to uh, cancel the guide or cancel the tour. I just thought, I'm just gonna go and get there. And I'm pretty good on a scooter. So I'm just gonna see if it will work. So we showed up that morning and this is the part where it gets to in the talk. And I'm still non-weight bearing. So I can't put any weight down at all on that ankle. And so I had brought crutches and also my scooter, because how do you know? What if, you're, what if you couldn't scoot for part of the trail? I'd never walked it before. And I, we get out of this van and cute Maya, who I will love for all the days of my life, this older woman guide who just was so gentle and so kind. Um, and we, start getting out, we're piling out and she's so happy and she's meeting my dad and she's meeting all my nephews. And then I hop out of the van and she just looks at me and, and we hop around and people start pulling out crutches and the scooter. And finally she just, she's the sweetest, calmest woman. She just looks at me and says, uh, I don't think you can walk this trail in that condition. And I had figured we were gonna have this conversation at some point. So I just said to her, maybe not, but there's nothing that prevents me from trying. And if we get up there and I, I can't do it, then you'll take the rest of the group and I can entertain myself. I'm super good at entertaining myself. And so she just shrugged her shoulders, which I just loved about her. 
And we went up to the place where we were going to start. We condensed the trip, everyone. Don't worry. We decided not to do the three days. And we just did the bottom third of that trail. And so we got there. And um, one of the hardest parts of the trail is the very beginning of the trail. And uh, it's where we were going to start. So in my mind, I thought, if I can just do that part, the hard part, at the beginning, then I know I'll be able to do the rest. So that would be a good, um, a good teller if it was going to work. So we got off the car and, and we got going. And my nephews went ahead, and my dad. Someone just asked, "What did your dad think?" And everyone, my mom and dad know that I'm super stubborn by nature, and also I'm not really a quitter, and I will, um, I will push through if, if I can push through. So my dad didn't say a word. He, he, when I said we were going, he was like, okay, I guess we're going. So we, um, we all got there and started going and they took off and we're going up towards the top and the trail is dirt. It's just a dirt trail. Just imagine that. But there's rocks that are big that, that they couldn't dig out. They were too big. Um, so you just have to navigate around these huge boulders. So I was lifting my scooter as we went and trying to get around everywhere. And Maya stayed back with me, which I think is such an important lesson because she could have gone at the front. She was the guide. So she could have gone at the front and been like, this is where we're going. And, and she could have just left me at the back and thought she's not going to make it. And she's eventually going to realize she won't make it. So then she'll just sit somewhere till we all come back. But it was interesting because she stayed right next to me. That's where she was. And we started going and she didn't say anything um, about my condition. We just walked as if I was just walking. And she kind of watched me navigating, but she didn't say anything about it. We just walked for a while. And finally, after she had seen maybe my determination or uh, maybe it was the, the I was okay with it being hard and, and I was figuring out how to navigate through the hard things. It was so cute because she just reached in her little day pack and she pulled out this. I brought it home with me because I just don't ever want to forget the power of this. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, she just pulled out this little rope and the first thing she did was tie a knot right here. And then she just pulled it down and she got to the end and then she leaned over right to the middle of my scooter handlebars and she just tied this on and then she still didn't say anything and then she just walked ahead of me a little bit and started pulling and um, she pulled me all the way up that hill and it was interesting because no one ever sat down and said okay how are we going to do this with Emily? How are we going to get this through? Who's going to carry the crutches? Who's going to pull her? And who, how will this work? And what are we going to do here? We didn't ever have that conversation ever. People just took turns and they would just, as I was going, a different person would come and grab the end of the rope and just start pulling. And, um, it was such a sweet experience to realize we were all in it together and we, we all were going to make it together that we knew that's what we were doing. And, um, 
that when we would get to different places, like there's one place when you get just right down by the Sea of Galilee, right when you're you're um, walking in to where the sea is, and it's going to get to this beautiful path by the sea that you can just it's it's on sand and it's flat, and that was going to be the easiest part. But before you got there, there were these two foot and three foot boulders stacked on top of each other. It, they were just stacked for a, a long time for like there was hundreds of them. And we pulled up to that spot and I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, but how is this going to work out? And um, so I grabbed my crutches and somebody picked up my scooter and started carrying it over all those boulders. And that part took the longest for sure of trying to navigate over every one of those boulders, just a little at a time. Um, and, but we did it, we did it. And everyone was patient. Everyone waited and they, no one complained of how hot it was or why were we going so slow or, or any of those things. Everyone was just in it. And um, when we got there till the very end and, I waited out and sat right in the Sea of Galilee with a garbage bag over my leg and um, just sat there and thought to myself, that was something I really wanted to do. And it wasn't a whim. I had wanted to do it for a year. I knew I wanted to do that. And I didn't just want to do it. I felt called to do it. Um, which I think was part of what was making me so stubborn because I had felt like there was a lesson the Lord needed to teach me on the trail. And I had felt it long before I ever broke my leg. I had felt that there was going to be a lesson on that trail for me. And I remember um, getting to the sea and sitting out there and and everybody swimming. Um, it was hot, so everyone was swimming in the water. And I can remember sitting in that chair and thinking, well, what was the lesson? Like, what was the important part? I was, I was waiting for like, I thought something was gonna be a standout on that lower third, that there would be this moment and I would just know this, uh, this is why um, you had to walk the trail and nothing, there was nothing. I mean, it was nice and I, and I had wanted to do it, but there wasn't like that moment where you were like, oh, this is why I needed to walk this trail. And then we, we went back and the rest of the tour people came and we picked them up and we did the whole tour and still the whole tour. I was like, why was it so important that I walked the Jesus trail? Um, I, I still couldn't figure out what was the important part. And the boulders were good and there was a part where um, that hard part up the, the top was good and there was a part where you come out in the Valley of the Doves that um, was quieter and, and I did love that part. There were, there were little parts that I loved but and the orchards, walking through the orchards, I loved. But nothing that I was like, oh, this is why I needed to walk this. And it wasn't until I got home and I had rented the scooter, a really good scooter with big wheels that could go in sand and everything. And I was getting ready to take the scooter back. And um, as I was cleaning it all off to take it back, I, this rope was still hooked on there. And I 
untied it because I was like, oh, I, I want to keep this. I want to remember what I learned from Maya in that moment. And as I was taking this off, the spirit whispered, this was the lesson. This was the lesson. It wasn't even the trail. Um, it wasn't a place on the trail. It wasn't something that I saw in Israel. The important part of the lesson was this rope, which I was so intrigued by because then my mind had to do all those mental gymnastics that you know that we do because I was like, a year ago, did the Lord know I would walk the trail broken? Like, did he know that already? Because if this was the most important part and Maya pulling me, what did he already know was coming that would be the important part of the lesson for me? And um, as I thought about why this was so important, the word that just settled into my brain was tethered. So that's where I want to start today. It took us a little bit to get going, but I want to think about being tethered. And it is... Um, the idea of the yoke. It's the same, um, it's, it's that same thing. There is something about being tethered or being yoked or being connected that feels really important. And, and it's something that I've been trying to learn um, and study. And even still, I feel like that's a lesson I'm trying to learn and study. But let's just think about that um, for a minute as we dive in today. How do we become tethered? And why would that be such an important part of our journey? And even more important, why would being tethered be an important part of um, what we maybe would call the Jesus trail or what we often call the covenant path? Why would that be important, that tethering, because sometimes we could look at that path and think, oh, I can, I, I just do that. That's me. I walk the covenant path. And the more I think about it, I think to myself, I don't, I don't actually know if that's true. I don't know if the covenant path is as individual as I always assumed it was, as if it was like my path. I wonder if the covenant path has to do with tethering. And in the beginning of the talk, I talk about tethering to the guide, which is super important. And in my mind, that would be Jesus. But at the end of the talk, I talk about my nephews um, and Jack Butler, who pulled me all the way through the streets of Jerusalem and the hills. And those boys, thank heavens for their 18-year-old strength. Um, because I don't know how I would have made it through. It's there. It's why does it feel like everything in Jerusalem is uphill? I don't know. But um, there is something about tethering that is um, kingdom community. It's ministering. It's it's us. Because of our tethering to him, it, it tethers us to each other. And I think these are all things I want to be thinking about. So one of the things that I'm intrigued by and was intrigued by at the time is how often the Lord invites us to walk with him. Um, so again, th 
that maybe the covenant path is not an individual journey. Maybe it's a with him journey. It's the yoke. It's the tethering. It's that's how that path actually works. That's how the Jesus trail actually works. And I want to think for a minute of Genesis 28. So let's just go there right now. Um, it, because it's so interesting when we think about this story of Jacob. And I love the story of Jacob so much. I love this thought that um, he leaves to go and find a wife. That's, that's where he's going. So he's going on a path or on a journey or on a, a, a trail that will lead him to enter into a covenant relationship, right? That's, that's the purpose of the journey that he is on. He's going to start his own family. And, it, and the journey starts out a little tricky. Remember, he runs from his house because his brother is about to kill him. So it's not like he just sets out for a nice afternoon stroll. He leaves and he, the conditions of his life in that moment are not ideal. And I, I love that. Is that not true of all of us? Like the conditions of mortality are not always ideal. That just is true. And he goes off, he gets there the first night. I always giggle about this because you remember I have three boys. And so when it, he's like, and then he just got to this place and it was dirt and he pulls up this pillow and he decides he's going to sleep there for the night because it's dark. And I just love again, that this journey is happening by happenstance. It's, it's not planned. It's not, it, this is not plan A right? This is plan C or plan D. He's living in this um, place where I feel like I live most of my life where I'm just like, well, it's dark. So I guess I'll <clears throat> lay down and pull up a, a rock for my pillow. And this is where I'm going to sleep. And so we're in Genesis 28 is where this story takes place. And in 12 is when he has that dream. And there's a couple things I'm going to point out in your scriptures here so you can maybe write them down because we don't often read Genesis and these will make sense as we go. But if you ever want to come back here, you may wish you had some notes in this part. Um, there's going to be a ladder and we talk about that ladder all the time. We, we talk about this dream and we always talk about the ladder. And I just want to say, I think this might accidentally be true about the way we talk about the covenant path also or the covenant relationship because we get really focused on this ladder set up on the earth and the top of it's reaching to heaven and there's angels of God ascending and descending on it and and sometimes we accidentally get in ladder mentality that's that feels like the most important part of the dream if you ask anyone today and try it for the whole day Ask people if they remember Jacob's dream and what is the one thing they remember the most about it. And I bet you 90% of the people are going to tell you, oh yeah, there was a ladder and there was angels. Just see if that's true. I'm so intrigued by that because we also accidentally do the same thing. We talk about the covenant path and immediately we go to steps 
We go to ladder rungs. We go to, yeah, because then you're going to get baptized when you're eight. If you're um, a young man, then at 12, you're going to get the Aaronic priesthood. And, and we start doing this thing where, and then eventually you're going to go to the temple and then you're going to be sealed. And, and we do this thing, right? We do this thing. If you asked me what I thought the most important part of Jacob's dream was, I would take you to verse 13. And that's where I want you to go now. Because in my mind, this feels like the most important. If you, if you are going to pull a visual out of this dream that felt really critically important, for me, it's not the ladder or the angels. It's this. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, and I, before we even go farther, I want you to look at the footnote for above it um, in our scriptures, just right at the very bottom. And it's going to tell you um, beside him. It could also have been translated to say, and behold, the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land where you are lying to you will I give it and to your seed. Now, I, I just want you to think about that for a minute because I don't know about any of you, but I have never had a dream where the Lord showed up beside me. And if I had had one, I think I would remember that. I, I think that would leave a deep impression on me, much deeper than a ladder. And it's so interesting to me that why, why does our focus go to the ladder so quickly before it goes to him? And do we accidentally do that in our relationship today? Do we accidentally go to the, the ladder rungs instead of stopping and saying, hold on, if I enter this path, who will be right beside me? And should I instead be focusing on that? And, and how do we help shift our perspective so he becomes the focus, not the latter? How do we do that? And how do we do that for our children um, so that he becomes the, the reason? I love to, like, just think about this for a minute because... We get so used to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that it becomes for us, again, kind of the same as the ladder becomes for us, where it's just rote. We know what it is, where it's memorized. And I love that this is what happens because probably Jacob's never met the Lord before. So that's kind of a big deal and might be a little bit overwhelming um, um, and intimidating. And I love that the first thing he says is, Jacob, don't worry, I am the God of your grandpa and the God of your dad. Okay, so I know them you, and you've heard them talk about me. I'm, I'm that same person, so we, we actually know each other. You know who I am. And again, I wanna think about that too because are we introducing our God to our children and to our grandchildren like that so that when he shows up to them he's like oh i'm the god of your grandma 
That's who I am. I'm the, I'm the God of your Nana. I'm the God of your mom. I'm the same. That, that person that they talk about, that relationship that they talk about, the, the God of miracles, the God of promises, that's me. I'm that same God. Um, it just makes me wonder if people would be more inclined to stay if the God we were talking about was a God of miracles, a God who keeps his promises, a God of second chances. Um, it, it's, a, it's nostalgic, but it's also familiar. And I love the thought of that. So then he points to this place where Jacob is, which let's just remember, he just stopped there because it was dark. He's sleeping in dirt. He has a rock for his pillow. And I love when the Lord looks at his situation, which is not fantastic. He's running away from his brother who's mad at him. And I love that he says, you know, this place that you've gotten yourself in, I can bless this place if you want me to. I, I can actually bless this situation. And, um, and I love what he says to him. This is what I talk about as the five finger promise. Um, I was talking with all my girls one day, we were all gathered together and I said to them, I love what the Lord says to Jacob in that moment that is the beginning of their relationship. And it's something that I want to tell my kids every day. It's something that I want my grandkids to know. And it's simply this, he just simply says, I am with you. I will keep you safe. I will bring you home again. I will not leave you. I will do everything I promised you. Now that is a really good promise. And that's the promise of the covenant. When we go to the Lord's house, when we enter into covenant relationship, when we choose to be tethered or yoked, when, when that happens in our life, the promise the Lord gives us in that tethering or in that, that moment when we walk into his house is, I am with you. I will keep you safe. I will bring you home again. I will not leave you. I will do everything I promise you. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. And when we were talking about it with my girls, um, my one daughter-in-law, Natalie said, I wanna hang that in my kid's room. I want them to know that. That's the God I want them to know. And so it's interesting because you would think in that moment that you would be like sold, right? I'm sold on this. This is what I'm going to do. And if you remember Jacob's story, that's actually not what happens. And, and we see the foreshadowing of that in verse 20. Because Jacob, so the Lord covenants that to Jacob. Okay, he's like, I'm in 100%. That's what happens. But listen to Jacob's language when he enters in. In verse 20, it says, Jacob vowed a vow. Jacob made a promise. Jacob covenanted back and said, if... God will be with me. And that if 
becomes so critical to Jacob's story because he 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 puts an if into this relationship and this becomes the beginning of Jacob's wrestle. We think the wrestle is in one chapter, in one night, and um, that's the end of the wrestle. The wrestle begins the morning Jacob wakes up and starts that journey. And he's gonna wrestle with God. He's, he's gonna wrestle with telling half-truths. He's gonna wrestle with not keeping promises. He's gonna wrestle with relationships and what that looks like. Um, it, he's going to wrestle out that part, that deceiving part of him. He's going to wrestle that out for years, right? For years, he's going to. And in the end, he gets his name Israel because finally he decides, I'm going to let God prevail. That's what I'm going to do. And it requires a softening of heart. It requires a putting your life into his hands. It's just because we enter into covenant relationship doesn't mean um, all is going to go well. It, we're still going to walk that trail. We're still going to hit those boulders that are going to make us go slower. We, we can be on the trail and still run into hardship. And I think that's really important. And it's a lesson that is taught so beautifully by Jacob. And I love that in the end, the Lord wins him, right? He is won over to the Lord by the end. And that's going to be true for us. It's going to also be true for our children. And this is why I love that introduction of the Lord when he's like, listen, I'm the God of your grandpa. I'm the God of your dad. Those of us who are, are grandmas and moms and aunts and sisters and, and even friends, um, when we talk about this God of second chances and this God of miracles and a God who keeps his promises, um, there will be a moment when those we love will remember how we spoke about our God. They will remember. And um, it, it just makes me wanna think about how am I teaching about my Jesus? when I talk about him and what am I teaching? And also, and I feel like this is critically important. Do I spend more time teaching about the ladder than I do about the one standing beside me? And that's important. I want you to think about that because if we're spending our time talking about the ladder, that's going to be harder for people to want to be attached to than it is a person. And how, how do we change our culture to talk more about him than we do about the processes? Because if people knew him, then everything else would fall into place. So just something important to think about. Um, I think too, I love that thought about when you think about a marriage covenant, and this is a conversation that I had for days with a good friend of mine, back and forth of that day you get married, you'll never forget it in your mind. That like that day is important. The day you enter into that covenant, that's important. But more important is actually every day that follows. Um, 
and what the relationship looks like on every single day after the covenant. And, and, and if we're um, working on deepening that relationship and what does that look like? Um, I um, had an experience, I wanna talk about two more things and I think we have time. So let's do this first. I um, am someone, in fact, I was just talking to a friend this morning. I am someone who really loves the ritual part of religion that calls to my soul. I just, I have that in me. And it happens for me with every religion in the world that I'm just drawn to spiritual practices. So if I'm in a country where the, the main faith is Muslim, I am really drawn to the call to prayer that happens um, in that religion. And how it happens on a scheduled basis, even at four in the morning, and how um, that record, that, that noise that you hear coming out of those speakers that they put all through their whole entire community is actually comes from a real live man who woke up and drove himself to the, the house of worship where the main microphone is that will go out throughout that entire city and sings that prayer. That's a level of devotion and commitment to relationship that um, I just, I am so in awe of that, not just the man who drove there to sing in the microphone, but the people who wake up to hear him and, and then pray to God in that moment, um, to Allah. Um, that's really beautiful to me. And I talked a little bit about being at the Western Wall and watching what worship looked like in that sacred place, which is the, the most sacred place that they have, that the Jews have. And I am so drawn to the women who are there and, and you'll see the mothers with their babies in their strollers and at the back of the, um, that courtyard, there's a whole um, shelves filled with scripture that they pull out and they sit with their babies just right at their feet and they read and their babies grow up watching the these mothers reading scripture at this holy place. And um, I'm always drawn to the oldest of the women there. I mean, the, the young moms are in their scriptures over their babies, but the older women, and they'll just cry as they read this scripture next to this place that is so holy to them. It's so holy that um, if you if you watch and, and even if you get online on YouTube, you probably can find videos of this. When they pray at the wall, they'll put their forehead and their hands right up against the wall because they just want to be as close as they can. And then when they leave, they don't turn and walk away from the wall, they back away from the wall, all the way out of the courtyard. I love standing at the top of the courtyard and watching the women leave the wall. And there's reverence and awe built into their culture. It's built in. So you think about these um, religions and how this reverence and awe and devotion is actually built into the way they worship. 
And I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. And I want to think in my life, in my religious culture, where have we built in reverence, awe, and devotion? And what does that actually look like? And um, it, it's such a stark contrast when you visit a people who don't have the fullness of their religion um, in the place where they are. And this is true for, for all religions because you'll notice like um, we love the story of those women in Africa who walk miles to get a temple recommend um, that they won't ever use because there's not a temple that is close to them yet. There will be, but there's not yet. That's reverence, awe, and devotion to me. Um, that that piece of paper is so important to them. And I just want you to think about in your own life right now, where where do you express reverence, awe, and devotion? Where does that actually happen for you? And it's tricky because for some reason, the culture, the society we live in right now it is, is trying to become more casual in relationship. And so some of those sacred rituals or that symbolism, it, it's being written off in a spirit of casualness, which makes me so sad because I think what I love most about religion is that symbolic um, reverence and awe that comes as we, um, as we enter in. And um, one of the things I talked about when I came back was that conversation that we often hear, which is why do I need to walk a covenant path? And do I really need to be in the temple? Can't I be a good Christian person and, and not need that level of reverence or devotion? And we talk about it about the house of the Lord, but we also talk about it with the garment that is our daily reminder of that five finger promise. It's our daily reminder of that covenant. And um, that question of, do I, do I really need to enter into covenant relationship with the Lord or can my life be, be good without? And it, this seems to be a really interesting conversation that is taking place right now. And um, it's interesting because as I've thought about that a lot, and maybe one of my favorite learnings from this talk for me um, was this one line that says, the answer to these good and important questions is simple. It depends on what degree of relationship you want to experience with Jesus Christ. And I think that's really true. I think the beautiful thing about the Lord is he invites us to enter into relationship as um, in whatever capacity we can. He, he did it with Jacob. He, he was like, this, this is, I'm going to walk with you. And some of these moments are not going to be as good as others, but I'm going to be patient and let you walk through this journey. And, and he allowed Jacob to determine the degree of relationship Jacob wanted. And that's gonna be true for us. He's, he's actually gonna allow us to determine the degree of relationship we want to enter into. And that's very kind in my mind, 
but it also is gonna matter the privileges that we have access to from that relationship. So um, that's true also, think about um, when you're dating as opposed to when you're married, the privileges from the relationship that you actually get to experience. And that's different according to the degree of the relationship, right? And also not just the privileges differ according to the relationship, um, but the expectations also differ. When Greg and I got married, the next day, Greg expected I wouldn't date other people. That was an expectation because we had entered into deeper relationship at that point. And it, that would be weird if I was like, I don't want you to expect that of me. I still want to be able to do that. Well, then I shouldn't have entered in that deep into that relationship. And I think we sometimes forget that relationship with God is the same. He, he can give expectations in that relationship, the same way we give expectations in deeper relationship. But with deeper expectation comes an increase of privilege. That's true. And I think it's beautiful when that happens. And how we choose to enter in will determine our level of privilege. And I had a really sweet experience um, a couple months ago. Um, I was texting back and forth with a friend who has um, is is figuring out the Jesus trail in his life and trying to figure out what he wants that to actually look like. And we've been talking for a year back and forth and sometimes he's really invested in entering in and other times he's he's like, I need to just now I need to just think about where I am for a minute. And so he had texted me and said, okay, I'm for in starting in January, here are some things I'm gonna commit to. And and for sure everything he had chosen that he he had decided he was gonna do was deeper than anything he had done this whole year. And so I was intrigued by that. And I said to him, What what's actually prompting um, this desire. Like I'm super interested in what's, what's increasing this desire in you. Where, where's this coming from? And where have you arrived that's causing you to want a deeper relationship with the Lord? And it was a really sweet experience because he texted back and what he texted back was actually words from my conference talk. And he said, um, he just had quoted this, this little um, paragraph that starts in 16, and it says, I walk this path as a beloved daughter of heavenly parents, divinely known and deeply trusted. As a child of the covenant, I am eligible to receive promised blessings. I have chosen to walk with the Lord. I have been called to stand as a witness of Christ. When the path feels overwhelming, I am strengthened with enabling grace. Each time I cross the threshold of his house, I experience deeper covenant relationship with him. I am sanctified with his spirit. I am endowed with his power and I am set apart to build his kingdom. 
through a process of daily repentance and weekly partaking of the sacrament, I am learning to become steadfast and to go about doing good. I walk this path with Jesus Christ, looking forward to the promised day when he will come again. Then I will be sealed his and lifted up as a holy daughter of God. So he texted that whole thing and then he wrote at the bottom, I want to experience this. And it made me tear up right when it happened because I, that's, that paragraph is where this whole talk started, was in that paragraph. And I just sat down one day and, and thought to myself, what, why is it that I live in covenant relationship? Why is it? Is it because of ladder rungs? Is it because of cultural expectation? Um, like why, why do I live life in the way I've chosen to live life? And as I sat there and considered it for a long time, I thought it's actually because of what I receive from the relationship. That's actually why I stay in the relationship because those privileges have changed my life. They've changed the way I mother, they've changed the way I see the world, they've changed everything about who I am. And I don't think my life would be as full without that. I, I just think it wouldn't be as full. And so for me, the reason why I stay in and the reason why I have a temple recommend and the reason why I wear the holy garment is because it signifies to me the most important relationship in my life. That's, that's what it is for me. And it was so sweet for me to see a good friend of mine say, I want that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that, but I want that. And then it was really sweet because he said, you said in here, find someone who is already on the covenant path and ask them to guide you. And it was so cute because then he was like, so I'm asking, will you be my guide? And it was such a sweet come full circle of this talk for me to think, um, if just one person was able to enter into deeper covenant relationship with Christ, uh, that all the hours and all the revisions and all the anxiety and all of the losing sleep became so worth it in that moment. And it's made me think to myself this, we are a big group of women here, um, a community, um, and, and I love this community. I love our conversations and our discussions, and I love the strength that we have found in each other. And I, I just think to myself, look how many guides we have here. Think about it. Look how many guides there are who have come to know Jesus and who he is. And as we think about how we're talking about him and how we live in relationship with him and 
and what the temple means to us and our visits there and how we talk about the garment, but also how we wear the garment. Um, are, are we guiding people? Because for this friend of mine, I think I became the guide long before the beginning of January. Um, but much of that guiding was not done with words. Maybe it was done as he watched my relationship and how important that relationship was. And, and I just wonder, are, are we doing good at that? Are we good um, at introducing people to the one who stands beside us rather than the latter? And, and, and do we recognize if we were better at introducing people to the one who stands beside us then that way of getting back to heaven would just become a natural result of that relationship. And I just think it's something to think about for each of us to consider. There, there are important, um, there, there are important lessons to be learned from covenant relationship um, and that privilege and then in the expressing of what that privilege looks like in a life is a beautiful thing. So just some of my thoughts, everyone, on covenant relationship and the house of the Lord and, and living with him beside us in a way that maybe changes society and maybe changes culture and changes our families and, and maybe lifts people um, these are just some of my thoughts. So anyways, there is, um, there are my thoughts on this talk and, um, I'm so, so happy to have just spent the morning with you thinking about it. And then I'll be back next week. We'll be here again and learning and growing together and hopefully becoming guides. And maybe you can think about who could you tether to, um, this week or this month and how could you help lead them along? So a few thoughts for this week. I love all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is taken from our Thursday Inklings discussions, which happen live on Instagram at inklings.institute. If you loved being here, I'd love to invite you to go even deeper with me get reminders, and enjoy first access to all our events and gatherings by going to emilybellfreeman.com backslash inklings.